0: Hello, welcome to Feed, Play, Love, the bite-sized podcast for parents. I'm Siobhan Hunt. This is a show all about parenting. I speak to experts and carers about everything from fussy eating, toddler behaviour, sleep, and more. Having kids has long been seen as a normal part of growing up. Even though many choose not to have kids these days, having children is not seen as an unusual thing to do. That is, unless you have a disability. Eliza Hull is a contemporary musician, disability advocate, and writer. Her experience illustrates just how much things change if you're living with a disability and you want to be a parent. Eliza has collected stories of parents, and the book is called We've Got This, Stories by Disabled Parents. Hi, Eliza. How are you? I'm good. Thank you for having me. It's a pleasure. You write that you always wanted children. What was the response from friends, family, your medical support when you decided it was time to get cracking?
1: I I was lucky in that I grew up in a very supportive household and my parents, even though I've had my disability since I was five years old, they always just believed that I could and, and should have kids if I wanted to and so Uh, It was always just, I guess, you know, if that's what Eliza wants, it's just a given that 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 would be a possibility for her. Uh, And when I met my partner and husband, Carl, he was the same, just very supportive, excited about the prospect of one day having kids. And even though I have a 50% chance of passing on my disability, he didn't fear or worry about that because he reminded me that you know, it's not a negative to have your disability. You know, there are things that are hard, but your disability is what makes you you. Uh, and he was just ultimately very supportive and excited about having children together. When I went to my neurologist, who I'd been seeing for a very long time, most of my life, in fact, he, um, when I told him that, my partner and I were thinking about having kids, he, he just looked at me with this very confused look on his face and said, I, you know, I don't think that that's a good idea. Have you thought about other options? You have a 50% chance of passing on your disability. I, you know, don't think that you could actually handle being a parent. It was very ableist and, yeah, felt very... Hard, um because I was just really excited about
0: the idea of having kids and and he's and he's someone who is a professional who has I'm imagining helped you navigate other parts of your life and yeah exactly. if you were excited you would have been like hey let's do this together this sounds like something you know something exciting that you were bringing to the table um it must have been very painful to be shut down that way
1: Yeah, absolutely. Like I was really just seeking just tips and advice on on ways that I could adapt my parenting because of being a person with disability. But, yeah, he just went straight into that real deficit model that disability is something that's a negative and that I don't think that that's something you want to bring into the world again and uh, that you you won't won't be able to do it. And if I had listened to him, I I wouldn't have the two incredible children that I have, the wonderful family that I have. And I have made, I have adapted and um, made changes to be the parent that I am because of my disability. But I think as people with disability, we are really set up to be great problem solvers and creative thinkers because we have to really navigate a world that's not built for us every day. Yeah, And uh, so I feel like we're actually really set up to be parents because I think that all parenting requires that flexibility and problem-solving and creative, creative thinking every day. And so I think, you know, people with disability are really just great at that anyhow, and we make great parents ultimately.
0: Can you tell us about your disability?
1: Yeah, so I have a condition that's called charcot Mari tooth it's a neurological condition, and it affects the way that I walk. So I, I walk differently, and I have muscle loss. So that means that I can't get upstairs, for instance. If definitely not if there's if there's no railing, I would have to actually crawl upstairs. If there's railing that I can, you know, pull myself up, I fall over a lot and have balance issues. Uh, but it affects my whole body so even though v- i guess visibly you would really notice that it affects my legs and my feet it actually affects every part of me it's a neurological condition that affects the way that my hands move it affects you know i'm a musician and um i can't you know bend my fingers because of muscle loss so i play the piano quite differently i can't open jars and yeah so there you know it it affects me very differently each day and some days are harder than others in that I'm more, you know, have more fatigue. Sometimes I'm in a lot more pain and, and can't sleep and it's it's a tricky part, part of me but ultimately for so long I, I hid my disability and would just not want to talk about it and really actually would never even use the word disability or disabled because I'd really felt like it was something over there that I didn't want to be part of because um, we have so much lack of positive representation of people with disability in spaces that I wanted to enter, like the music industry or also on TV and movies. And that really does, that messaging really affects you and makes you think that disability is a a problem that ought to be fixed. But the more that actually... I've realised that it's not me that ought to be fixed. It's actually the world that needs to change. It's really opened up a new way of thinking. And once I look at the ways that the world can eliminate some of the barriers, like whether that be stairs getting into a venue or attitudes or lack of representation, physical access, access to Auslan interpreters if you're deaf, if all of those things start to change actually you realise that it is the world that, that is disabling and I can feel very disabled in a certain environment. For instance, if I go to a friend's house and there's stairs up to the space that they're having, a you know, afternoon tea, I can feel very disabled because I can't get up those stairs, um, whereas if I go to a space that, that it is entry level and I can walk into that space, I, I feel less disabled. And I guess, you know, when thinking about that with parenting, it's you, you do realize that a lot of the real barriers and issues that come with parenting with a disability is not actually what happens in the home. Uh, yeah. it's actually what happens out in society. Discrimination, well, let's, for well, let's,
0: instance. Let's talk about that a little bit. Um, starting with your pregnancy, I mean, you've just. Uh, well, obviously, I'm not sure how quickly you fell pregnant after that discussion with your neurologist, but it's not a great way to start your journey, having someone be that negative about something you want to do. How did you find pregnancy? Was it challenging? Did you find the support you needed? What was the support you needed?
1: I think that it really showed me because I have two children and one is now eight and one is nearly two next week. and I think noticing the two different pregnancies makes it very clear that the first pregnancy I had a lot, like not much support at all. In fact, uh, the medical professionals were very afraid and they didn't let me move. So I had to sit on the bed to give birth. I wasn't able to move around the, the hospital at all because they were afraid that I would fall over. And I just trusted them and thought okay that's what I've got to do and that was a very very painful yeah
0: it's a painful way to give birth
1: yeah I really wanted to move my body was wanting to move and I I had a lot of ableist comments of you know don't do this again I don't think that you can do this again I don't think you can have another one or when I was having the ultrasound when they asked whether I could pass on my disability that was always met with very you know, big wide <laughs> eyes, and wide open mouth,
0: like, what? What are you doing? Were you expected, could you be tested? Could you do the genetic testing while they were in utero? Was that something that people expected you to do?
1: Yeah, I think people expected me to do that, but no, I didn't do that in the end, yeah. Because mm. I guess I just, I don't believe that disability should be something that we wipe out, you know. I think that d- diversity is what makes the world beautiful in, in all of its ways. And, yeah, I see it as a, a real positive and I I, I I wouldn't take my disability away and it's actually brought so much to my life. Like it, it, it affects the way that I parent, it affects the way I sing, I have a great career in disability advocacy, I've got this you know, this book and, and many other things coming ahead that just I it, it, it guess it just makes me who I am. So it's not something that I'd I'd want for it to go away, which I think really confuses people a lot of the time.
0: And it was something that people suggested to you, which is also sending another message in a way, isn't it, if they're saying. um, Yeah,
1: I guess what they're saying is that we shouldn't bring any more people in the world that's like you, really, and mm. that can be really hurtful. And, yeah, I think that, that, you know, I've created the book, we've got this. And it's a collection of stories of 25 parents with a disability or or parents that identify with chronic illness or, or parents that identify as deaf. And a lot of the stories within the book speak about this. Um, for instance, there was two deaf parents in the book and when their child had a, a hearing screened test, that is just a standard test for every newborn baby in, in Australia, They weren't given an interpreter to begin with, so it was inaccessible. They didn't understand what was going on. And then when the hearing test came back, the nurse came in. Again, they had to lip read because there was no interpreter available and the lady was just overjoyed and excited and congratulated them with a handshake and, you know, said, congratulations, this is great news and it's you know basically stating congratulations your your child is not like you your child can hear Mm. and a that's very hurtful but b it's also just a lack of understanding that to be deaf is to be part of an incredible community and culture is to speak um auslan speak a language and it's an identity and it's something that both those parents are deeply proud of, of. Their parents are deaf and their grandparents are deaf. And, yeah, I just feel like it's these attitudes that, that need to shift.
0: And would, in terms of your second pregnancy, I'm assuming it was better? What, yeah, absolutely. Like, What was it that made it better?
1: Well, because I knew how to advocate. Uh, advocate for myself, I and had, had really um, stepped into my disability identity and had now had a community to reach out to. By that stage, I'd created the audio series, We've Got This, for the ABC, which is now the book. And so I just had that, I guess that's those skills. And so when I went into the hospital to give birth the second time, it was a completely different world. I was able to move freely around the hospital. I had an incredible natural birth and it was the most beautiful experience because I was trusted and I was given the, I guess, the you know, the power over my own body and I think that as all humans, we, we know our bodies better than anybody else.
0: Mm.
1: So, yeah, it was, it was a really, really great experience.
0: What's the most common assumption people make about parents with a disability?
1: I think people think that your child will be looking after you like it's a um, like a burden on your child when actually people with disability are, as, as I was saying, we are adaptable and creative and we basically just find ways to do things very well, very, very well and so we're great parents and then if we have our children that might for instance um, my child is Isabel. her name is and she's uh seven years old and sometimes she'll move this is just a little example move toys off the floor so that I don't fall over or pull me along um, as we're going across the traffic lights and this is not a bad negative thing that she does this is a she's learning skills to be a caring compassionate person who is kind and open and her teacher had I just we had parent teacher and her teacher just said she's just so kind and so you know just has such great empathy for people and really just a a beautiful child to have in the classroom and I think that these are, are great skills and there are a lot of parents in this book that speak about their child asking, can I help? And, you know, it not, it not being a burden but more it just being a way of life and a way of teaching children that it's a, it's, a, it's a good thing.
0: Well, you, you want your family to be a unit that love and care for yeah. each other. It shouldn't be just one way, even we're not talking about it you know, carrying the burden of raising themselves. We're talking about pitching in and helping like you would want your kids to pitch in and help in any other scenario, right?
1: Yeah, absolutely. That's exactly right.
0: What about other children? So, when kids are curious about things, they can often be very blunt and very straight to the point and not necessarily polite. So, Do you have any advice, and I know this would be different for everyone, but if you were, for example, at your child's school and it was a parent-teacher kind of situation, so the parent was around and a child was asking about your disability and they asked their parent, let's just say a kid said, mummy, what's wrong with that lady? If that's the way children speak, right? How would you like the parent to respond in that situation?
1: Uh well I mean I have a, an example when my daughter and I were in the kindergarten line to get into the the kinder we had to, it was during one of the covid peaks and so we had to go one by one at that time so we were all in a line to get into the kindergarten mm. and a ch- child said what's wrong with her why does she walk like that and the parent looked at me and said um because she's been in a, a bad accident <laughs>
0: Did she and know you at all? <laughs> yeah,
1: yeah, she did. And we had spoken about disability and about my condition and I think that it, I don't blame her at all but what it shows to me, I guess, is just that, again, that fear of the word disabled or disability and also just the fear of and and we are all, all human so there's, there's a bit of a sometimes it can be a hard space to step into but uh, I guess... What I would have liked her to say at that moment was eliza um is I'm not going to name this child, but I'll make up a name. Bobby has just asked um why you walk like that, would you mind answering it only if only if it's okay yeah because I guess then it then it's my choice, and um whether i want to discuss it I, I would would have really liked the opportunity to discuss it I didn't have time so we all had to we shuffled along and it was interesting my daughter at that time said um you, you're not in a bad accident like you're disabled that's what she said and it was actually quite a, a proud moment to hear her to say that word and, and to to know that we had those conversations and but I think a lot of Parents, really, that's probably the, the the biggest question that I get asked is how do we educate our children? How do we talk about disability? Is it okay for a child to ask about somebody that has a disability? And I think that the answer to that is if you have really great representation of disability, so picture books, books. If you if there's any kind of TV or cartoons or shows that have disability representation. And then you have conversations in the home about how everybody is different and how diversity and difference is what makes the world beautiful and disability is, is part of that. I think that ultimately you'll find that your children will become less curious and won't really need to ask that, those questions when they're in out in the community. But if they do ask those questions anyhow, I think it's always okay to step in and just ask the question, like, is it okay if we, we ask you this today? It's not up to every person with disability to educate, yes. all, you know, every child, and sometimes that can be quite tiring Yes, as a person with disability, but I think that it's better than telling your child to look away or to shh. I think that that actually creates more fear and more stigma uh, it, it was a, a great example in the book actually, and we've got this of a mother that is short statured, and two very different examples. One example was when she was in the bank, and a child had said to the, his mother, Why is she so short? and the mother said, Because she doesn't eat her vegetables, oh and, and if you don't eat your vegetables, you'll become that short. Oh my God. I mean. That is just, like, bad parenting, really, I guess. Mm. And then the other example is when Deborah, who's the mother that is short-statured and she's in the book and she writes this chapter, she's out with her daughter and her daughter Sarah also has dwarfism and they were out in the park and a child saw them and said, you know, Mummy, why is she so short? And why is she so short? Why are they both short? There's so many of them. <laughs> and the mother got a little bit like, oh, what do I say here? But the mother said, um, I just had a conversation with my child and I just explained that some people are tall and some people are short and some people have curly hair and some people have straight and, and some people are wheelchair users and some people aren't. Would you mind if we just had a chat to you? And wow. They, you know, stepped in and they had a little bit of a chat and after a couple of minutes the child noticed that they had puppies, dogs, and it was like that was old news. <laughs> <laughs> you know, like it didn't matter anymore. Yeah. And that, that is, in my opinion, just a really great example to show that, you know, if we explain it in a way of we are all different as people and that difference is, is not a negative thing and that it's okay and it's not to be feared that ultimately we have more of an inclusive society.
0: Not all disabilities are visible. Um, Jamila Risby wrote the introduction to We've Got This, and she talks about the fact that a lot of people are unaware of the debilitating conditions she can experience. I'm imagining there's a different kind of experience for those people when they're parents are you able to speak to that at all
1: yeah I guess you know the only thing I could say is that yeah there are some contributors in the book and Jamila is one of them where there's more invisible parts to their disability or their disability is, is quite invisible and I think it is challenging because when people can't see it they almost don't believe it
0: Mm. and
1: I think that that can be really really hard for parents that have quite debilitating disability that affects them every day and yet it's invisible and therefore they feel very invisible and one example is Leifa Singleton Norton who has chronic fatigue and she said that you know, she, all through her life, that as soon as she developed chronic fatigue, anyhow, that whenever she would try and explain it to people, even because it was invisible, people just didn't care, or people didn't didn't believe her. Almost the moment that she had a child and was pushing a pram with with a baby, and said she was tired and struggling, and it was like everyone's like, "Oh yeah, yeah, okay, yeah." that, you know, suddenly we believe you. <laughs> it was <laughs> like she, she was able to join a club or that she hadn't been part of when actually for so many years she'd really been debilitatingly tired.
0: How can parents be more supportive of parents with a disability?
1: Yeah, you know, that's a great question. Yeah, I think you know a lot of my friends ask that. Should I ask you whether you need help, or should I, you know, that those kind of questions? I think it's it's always up to the individual. For instance, if we're going upstairs, and that, my friends will just ask, you know, can I help you? Is it okay if I carry your child to help you? I think just asking those questions is a great way to to be just a great ally and to be supportive. Another great way is to you know, have that representation of disability in your home so that the children that you're raising that will then become part of your friendship circle and network understands disability as well. So that I think that that is really important and I've noticed that in terms of my daughter's friendship groups where, when I'm friends with their parents, just, just by them talking about disability in their homes, they're m- more accepting of me, those children, and just believing that a person with disability can be a a great parent and can be trusted as a um, caregiver as well if your children then go around to their house.
0: Eliza thank you so much for your time today. Thank you so much for having me. That's Eliza Hull. The book she edited is called We've Got This Stories by Disabled Parents and you'll find links to the book in the notes of this episode.